the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. No one is beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. You're going to really understand what that means as you meet our guest today. He is the senior pastor of New Life Christian Church in Hayward, and we're delighted to have join us on the program today, Pastor Dubayon Shortridge. And Pastor Shortridge, a delight to get a chance and visit with you today. Greg, thank you so much. We're blessed to be here. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share today with you. Your uh, your ministry and, and ultimately your personal testimony and life story really demonstrative of the notion that in spite of circumstances, in spite of all that the world and sometimes even hell can throw against us, no one is beyond God's love. No one is beyond God's grace. No one is beyond God's healing and restorative power, all toward that reconciliation that our Creator desires so that we might walk in fellowship with Him. So as that is kind of the stage, let's let's walk through some of your life experiences we then lead into talking about what God is doing there in Hayward at New Life Christian Church. You were born here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and over the course of your life and ministry, you've seen a lot. Tell us a bit about some of your background. Thank you, Craig. Uh, yes, I, I am a true native. I was born in Oakland. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. My story is a little bit different. I was at a pastor's meeting, and we were all kind of sharing how we came to be pastors. And most people shared they grew up in the church or they came through seminary. And then they got to my wife and I, and ours was a little bit different, both of us. But uh, my father, who raised me, is African-American. My mother is Hispanic. And so I was born in the 60s during an era where interracial relationships were not uh, promoted and were looked down upon. But on top of it, uh, my mother was 17 when she had me. My father had just come out of San Quentin prison, and uh, my mother was not of legal age to have me, so she became a ward of a juvenile hall uh, when she was younger. But by God's grace, she turned 18, and she kept me. Uh, I'm so grateful that uh, my mother has shared with me after growing up, that she was actually pressured to have an abortion, which wasn't legal at that time. And she wouldn't do it, and she didn't. And I can, let me say, I speak on behalf that I'm grateful that I'm here, very grateful. And my kids and my grandkids are as well. But the lifestyle that I grew up in those early years, up until I was about 11, uh, were very abusive, unfortunately. My father was very violent. Uh, there were constant um there was constant abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, everything. There were some very, very dark moments uh, that unfortunately are still etched in my heart, but are healed by God's grace. And uh, so I've seen a lot of things, uh, you know, the police coming in, beating my father, my father trying to kill my mother. And it all culminated one day when my mother finally had enough strength to leave him uh, because he literally was going to kill us, not in the figurative, but in the literal sense. And she finally left him. We got away. And uh, unfortunately, during that time, we ended up in foster care for a couple of years. And that was an incredible, uh, heartbreaking experience for my two younger siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. 
during that time, we were finally reunited back with my mother. Uh, she had moved to Oakland because we were living in San Francisco on the housing projects on Army Street, uh, which have now been torn down. But during my, my time growing up, being of mixed ethnicity, it was always a very difficult place for me because I never quite identified with any culture. And being that I look, I look Asian, I look Hawaiian, um, it was very difficult for people to, to accept me for who I was. And, and because of uh, the era that I grew up in, it was very easy. If you could identify with one full culture, you could either be Hispanic, you could be Black American, you could be Asian American. But when you're mixed, you don't quite fit into any of those categories. And so a lot of my best friends growing up were mixed ethnicity. One of my best friends, his name was Michael. He was half Japanese and half black. Uh, his mother had died of a heroin overdose, unfortunately. And so I got along very well with, with, with other cultures that were, you know, could identify. But when I was about uh, uh, 16, I was introduced to the gospel for the first time. Didn't grow up in church. The only time we ever went to church is when my mother uh, was kicked out of the house with all of us and needed a place to live. She would go to the Catholic church and I want to say this, I'm so grateful for the Catholic Church that uh, I remember many a times my, my mom going to the priest and asking for money and the priest giving his own personal finances to my mom so that we could have a, a, a place to sleep or food to eat. I'm so grateful. So grateful for St. Anthony's Dining Hall. We ate there. So grateful for the YMCA because we lived there. So grateful for all these organizations uh, that helped us when we, you know, growing up in difficult times. When I became 16, I heard the gospel. That was the first seed that were planted, the calling. And then by my mid-20s, uh, by that time I was married. Uh, I, I was already working in a career in IT. And it was at that place that God got a hold of my life and transformed myself and my wife. And we had two sons at the time, and then we had a third one later. And that was the beginning of my journey uh, committed to Christ, walking in Him, uh, becoming a part of Full Gospel Businessmen, Lecce Juvenile Hall Ministry, which I thought, in Craig, in hindsight, I thought that's what's going to be my full-time ministry was chaplain. And God flipped it around and says, no, I got a different plan because I thought I was going to retire in IT, have a nice you know, bank account, house paid for, be a chaplain. And God says, I'm going to change that up just a little bit, not quite what you're expecting. <laughs> and I got the call to be a full-time pastor and uh, left the IT world, and that's a whole other thing in itself. But here I am, uh, 19 years later, uh, senior pastor at New Life Christian Church, and Craig, I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, that issue related to the, the racial identity, we all have to have a sense of belonging. Who do we identify with? How are we identified? What a joy in Christ Jesus that you could change up that narrative that maybe heretofore people would say, well, Dubayan, what are you? <laughs> try, try, trying to put a label on you. But the moment you committed your life to Christ, I would imagine that answering that question got a whole lot easier because at the end of the day, while, you know, all of us to one degree or another can, you know, we, we identify as black, white, Latin American, whatever, but within Christ Jesus, first and foremost, we identify as being a son of the living God. Craig, you, you couldn't have said it any better. And and yes, it was identified. It was interesting. I had a friend of mine. He's passed away now. He was a pastor. And when I was younger, he says, do you know what your name means? And I said, Dubayan De La Croix. He goes, no, your middle name. Do you know what De La Croix means? I said, I don't. He goes, it means of the cross. Of the cross. 
Yeah. And I said, real. And so I looked it up and he, and he was right. And I go, and it just brought me back to Jeremiah when he says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I thought, wow, God, you knew that I was going to cry out to you that I, that I needed the cross. I needed the cross so much. And yes, uh, even though my father did what he did and that happened, I share that story many times with, I, I still work with youth in juvenile hall. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to go in for quite a bit, but I share that story. And one of the most common questions, Craig, they would ask me, do you forgive your father for what happened? That was the most common question. And I, and this is what I say. I said, I absolutely forgive him. In fact, my, my father who raised me, I have to say my father who raised me because I did a DNA test and I actually have a, a different biological father that we never knew. Uh, that was discovered four years ago. It's a whole nother thing, right? But uh, I tell people, my, my father who raised me, unfortunately, he had just become deathly ill uh, last November. I, I went out to go see him uh, because of COVID. I was the only one who could go in. All of the other family is estranged from him. And I remember sitting in there with him. I couldn't touch him. I had my mask on. He was laying there unconscious. And, and I thought, God, what do I say? You know, we've never had any father-son moments. I love you, son. I'm, never has happened. But what do I say to him? And the Lord spoke to me, and he just said, you love him. You honor him. And so I did. I said, Dad, I love you. I don't know where you're at in your, your life with Jesus, but I just want you to know he's here for you. And then I prayed for him. And I looked at him. That, that was the last time I was ever going to see him in my life. I said, Dad, I love you. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, should I have said to him, Dad, I forgive you? And I thought, no, I don't need to say that because that already happened at the cross. And I've already forgiven him. This is about him now and, and loving him. And so I just said, Dad, I love you. And I hope to see you in God's kingdom. You know, Craig, I don't know where he was at in his life, but my hope and my prayer is that I will see him in God's kingdom. Our conversation today with Pastor Dubayon Shortridge, Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Church of Hayward. A brief time out. We'll return to more of our visit in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today, a very special guest. He's Senior Pastor of New Life Christian Church in Hayward, Pastor Dubayon Shortridge. Uh, Pastor D, I want to come back to what we were discussing just prior to the break. You know, that's such a beautiful way to sort of live out the Lord's Prayer, that that sense of, of, of beseeching God's forgiveness and forgiving as we, has been, we have been forgiven, which to a greatest degree is a pretty tall order when you consider the manner in which, as we see laid out in Scripture, that we've offended this holy and righteous God. Who am I that I should ever be worthy of his love, his grace, his mercy. And yet through Christ Jesus, we get to experience all of that and so much more. And, and, and listening to you, Pastor D, I'm, I was thinking, you know, the, the question often posed of the blind man that the apostles came along on the side of the road. <clears throat> and the question was posed, well, well, who here has sinned? Is it this man or his parents? And the answer that I think should cause all of us to pause for a moment, none but that the glory of God might be manifest in him. And I think sometimes when we when we go through difficult circumstances, like what you explain of your own childhood, you can say, well, why did this happen, God? And, and, and so many twists and turns and complexities and so forth. And, you know, you think of, you know, generational sin and things of that sort. But ultimately, I think the answer that maybe can give us the most comfort as we struggle trying to figure out why all of these things have happened to us 
to simply say in the end of the day, while we may not fully understand all of the circumstances from a human standpoint, from the spiritual standpoint, to see that God wants to use those circumstances to glorify himself in our lives. Pretty powerful stuff. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And and I think that was probably one of the reasons I was, uh, God opened the door for ministry in prison, juvenile hall for many, many, many years, is to be able to share that story. And, and I, you know, I've shared with countless young men, uh, my background growing up, in fact, there was one, one young man who told me, he goes, you know, you don't understand what I go through, uh, what I, that he said, I had to go out and sell drugs. My mother was a prostitute. My father was in prison. And this was the only way that I could survive for my sister and me. And I, and I told him, honest, I says, you know, believe it or not, I do understand. My mother was a prostitute. My father did come out of prison. But I can tell you that God's grace and his love is so much more than that. It's more than what we can visibly see right now if you give him the opportunity. And it's not an overnight thing, Craig. It's not like, okay, poof, everything is fixed. You know, there's been uh, years of healing in my heart, of forgiveness, of God's grace, of God's love. And when I look and see where our family is today, I, I know hands down it's only because of the intervention of Christ and the cross and the love of God. Yeah, you come through those circumstances, and there's one aspect we can read in Scripture about the character of God, the love of God, the grace of God. That's all well and good. When we were little kids, we used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet once we have tasted of heaven, as we have experienced that personal relationship, as we have been witnesses to and a living testimony of the power of God to keep, to save, to restore, to heal in our own lives. Wow, that's the most powerful thing. I mean, what they become, they're overcomers by what? The power of their word, of God's word and our testimony. Yes. And I think that sense of relatability will help all of us that have gone through difficult circumstances to understand that God really seeks to, out of our pain, to bring not only wholeness, but to use that, as we said a moment ago, to glorify himself. I, I'm curious, in, in your own life growing up, you first were introduced to the things of Christ in your mid-teens. Was it, has it been a challenge for you as you look at the contrast of your earthly father and clearly the, the demons that he wrestled with versus what we see of our heavenly father in scripture and that sense of, of maybe a challenge of relatability? I know sometimes people will say, I know nothing of a, of a loving father because my father here on earth was, was nothing but evil and cruel to me. So people sometimes struggle with the concept of a loving, gracious, kind, heavenly father. Did you struggle with that likewise? I, I think um, certainly I, I never struggled with God's love and mercy. I think I always just accepted it in faith um, that he loved me. And even though I, I couldn't tangibly relate that to an earthly father, I just knew that God loved me and his mercy on me. I think I think um, the what happened growing up with my bio, or I'm sorry, my father who raised me was I knew that that's not how I wanted to be. I didn't want to have that. The unfortunate part, Craig, is that there were those aspects of uh, anger and pride and fear and all those things that did pass down to me that I did have to lay at the cross and wrestle with. There there are those moments that I I. I've always verbally said, I don't want to be like my father, but yet that those attributes, potential of the negative things were there. And so that part of it, I wrestled a lot with because I didn't want to, 
I didn't want to have my my family raised with police raiding the house or them fearful that I'm going to beat their mother or me kicking them out of the house. I never wanted my children to be raised with, are we going to have a place to live? Are we going to have food? Are we going to have to move into a hotel or live on the street? I always wanted them to have a security to know that God is gracious and provide. And by God's grace, um, we did. But yet, uh, I would say I didn't struggle with receiving love because of my father, but I did struggle with attributes of characteristics I didn't want to have a part of my life uh, in there. Let, let me just share this one thing. So one story that one of my, my biggest joys was to be able to take my children to Disneyland. And for most people, you know, Disneyland's not a big deal. But for someone who never participated in organized sports or went camping or a part of the Cub Scouts or ever got to go to Disneyland, it was a big deal. And when I took my children there for the first time, it, it was just such a joy to see the, the joy on their face, to experience something that I knew growing up I had never had the chance to do. And so those moments to me, uh, their first Little League game or football or Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts, all those to me were milestone moments, taking them camping, taking them skiing to the snow. Let me tell you, Craig, people from the projects don't have ski money. It's expensive. <laughs> so, so it was a joy and a blessing to give them all of these experiences, to take them on vacation to Hawaii. Right. I mean, these are all experiences that I was blessed to be able to share with my family, to give them something. But the most important to me was to be able to introduce them to Christ and to be able to let them know that there is a God who loves them and a heavenly father who loves them even more than their own earthly father could ever love. Our conversation today with Pastor Dubayon Shortridge, Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Church of Hayward. A brief time out. We'll return to more of our visit in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today, a very special guest. He's senior pastor of New Life Christian Church in Hayward, Pastor Dubayon Shortridge. Uh, pastor D, I want to come back to what we were discussing just prior to the break, proving that Disneyland is often as much for the parents or the adults as it is <laughs> the kids. But but that 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 that's an important story that you share because I think in in many ways, Pastor D, number one, clearly in working through all of that in trying to not only make sense of of your childhood and all that you were exposed to as a young man uh must have led you to really beginning to understand what surrendering is like as you had to offer that back up to the lord and every time those feelings and the anger and 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 the frustration and all of that what you had gone through and those are memories that are not easy to 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 disconnect from or stuff down and pretend like it never happened it really i guess makes it incumbent and maybe the broader lesson for all of us here is that yes we will all one way or another go through difficult circumstances, be it a difficult childhood or a tumultuous marriage relationship or financial struggles, health struggles, whatever it might be. But learning how to surrender that back to the foot of the cross, learning how to get down on our knees and give it all to him, I, I, I think ultimately um, can turn that pain, that disappointment into something that God can really use and and ultimately restore. I mean, the joy you must have experienced, as you alluded to, in being able to give to your children 
what you never experienced as a young person growing up and to see as scripture says that that God will come in and he will restore all that the that the locusts have eaten wow what what a joy what what a, what a savior it is and and i and i want to just say a side note too that i think uh, one of the things despite having had difficulties and those things my son had did an interview with me he was he's a teacher out of memphis tennessee both he and his wife and he was asking me about my father and experience growing up and one of the questions he asked me, he says, well, well, what did you learn from your father? And I, I want to say from both my father and mother, there were attributes that I learned. Uh, but I want to pre-qualify this by saying I wouldn't use this method for teaching your children. But certainly what I learned from my mother was that going through difficult times, Greg, she would always tell me, uh, she would call me mijo, which is a term of endearment mm-hmm. in Spanish. And she would say, mijo, I just want you to know right now, I know things are hard for all of us. And we would be in the most darkest place, difficult, she says, but one day we're going to get through this. And one day you'll look back at these memories and you'll laugh at them. And I remember being a kid saying, there's nothing funny about this. I'm hungry. It's cold. But when I look back as an adult now, my mom was right. We did get through it and we did grow from it. Now, my father, on the other hand, he taught me things uh, because, Craig, I was a non-confrontational kid. I was a kid that got bullied all the time because I was small and because I didn't fit in. And my father taught me to stand up for myself because he saw that I wouldn't do it. Like I would just, if I, I wouldn't fight if I didn't have to, right? And so my father, uh, I hope this doesn't scare the, the, the viewers here. My father for my seventh birthday gave me a knife <laughs> with duct tape on it. And he showed me how to use it. At seven years old, he showed me how to use a knife. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for anyone, but I will say this. My father was always trying to teach me to stand up for myself. And there were t- there were times that there was a kid that he was like twice my size was beating me up. Or, I'm sorry, chasing me to beat me up. He couldn't catch me because I used to be really fast. And I ran in the house and my father saw it. And he says, he says, you are not ever to run from a fight. You get back out there right now. And I'm like, what? I don't want to fight. He says, no, get. So he did. He sent me back out there. Oh, Craig, that kid got a hold of me. He pummeled me. He, he just grabbed me and he got in a headlock and he's just whacking on me. So my dad had always told me when you're in a fight, he goes, when you're in a fight, you fight for your life. You use whatever you got. So so his arm was right by my mouth and I bit his arm. And I bit it so hard, he let go of me and he screamed and he turned around and he, he, he stopped and he said, if I had known you were going to fight me, I would have brought my dog to this fight. <laughs> <laughs> and he left. So my father instilled in me, listen, don't back away when you need to stand. Now, of course, as a pastor, I'm not advocating violence in any form, but I will say in the spiritual, as a pastor, we have to stand in some hard moments. And I would say that that has served me well to know that no matter how much of a fight it is, no matter how big the enemy seems or the situation, I've got to stand up and fight. And But it's a little bit different now because my fight is on my knees and trusting in God. Amen. And, you know, and those sort of David versus Goliath type moments where where you understand that no matter how outnumbered you may appear to be, um, you've got God's got your back. Yes. And, and maybe that's the most important lesson that we need to learn and 
need to be reminded of. You know, sometimes even as we go through our Christian walk, and and for young believers eavesdropping on our conversation today, Pastor Shortridge, uh, you, you don't reach you you are perfecting your faith, but you don't reach a point of perfection in life where you no longer have worries or doubts or challenges or troubles or the enemy doesn't buffet you. Listen, we 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 all go through the you know the 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 the, the, the tire that goes flat on the freeway, the bad report from the doctor, you know the the bad bank account that's empty, all of those things. It's just its just a part of this fallen world. But to know that through all of that, God has got our back, and we can, with the power of his word and the support of the Holy Spirit, stand and face the enemy, stand our ground, and learn what it's like to be an overcomer and to be victorious in all things, through all things, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a lesson that's worth taking through the entirety of life. You know, Craig, I always tell people, I tell this to our, our, our church uh, members there, I say, listen, you'll know when you're finished and you've been perfected when you look like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that's then, exactly then, right. Then when, when, you, when, you're not, when there's no, uh, when you put the mirror up to your nose, and there's nothing coming no, out. No fog, you, and you're and you you're perfected. And you're and you're laying down, but still dressed in your Sunday best. You finally That's have reached right. perfection. That's you, right. You have reached perfection. Yeah. So in the meanwhile, as Paul says, work out your salvation and continue to run the good race, fight the good fight. You know, I, I don't think it's by any accident that we're we're exhorted to do so in Scripture. As right. as you first learned of the claims of Christ, and eventually dedicated your life to Jesus. You mentioned earlier on that you had had a successful career in the business world as an IT manager with a very large company based in San Francisco. At what point in your life did you really get the sense that um, God was about to make a bit of a career change here for you? How did that come about? I have to be honest and say, Craig, it actually came about uh, unexpected. Uh, As I mentioned before, I was working my way towards uh, becoming a chaplain. My my initial plan was that by the time maybe I was in my 40s or so, 45-ish, I would retire from uh, IT, have our house paid off, you know, have a nice sizable bank account, retirement coming in, and then go into full-time ministry not needing support because I was supported. And God said no. And the, the short version of that is uh, the former pastor here of our, our church, a New Life, approached me and he says, hey, what do you think about uh, coming on in full-time ministry? He says, we certainly can't pay you very much. And he told me the salary. And I said, uh, yeah, you're right. You can't even afford me. <laughs> but uh, He says, well, would you pray about it? And so I did. I prayed and I fasted and I got together with my wife and I told her, you know, my heart and desire was always full-time ministry. And I said, but I didn't know, I didn't think anything of being the pastor of New Life Church where we're at now by far. I was always happy just serving on the leadership and, and fine with that. And so we did. We we prayed, and, and I just sensed the Lord say, you know, I want you to do this. is my plan for you. You know, certainly, I, I would say that I always knew that I had a desire and calling for full-time ministry, but I didn't necessarily think it was going to be pastoral in, in this sense. And so when that opened, I prayed about it. I came back, and I, I told him, I says, you know what, we've prayed, and, and, and we will— make that commitment. And I'm one of those folks, if I'm committed, I'm committed. I'm all in. So we sat down with my son. Uh, He was 10 or 11 at the time. And he sat across from us. We told him what was going on. 
Our, our oldest son was already uh, on his own at that time. And so our middle son said, Dad, I want to ask an important question. And I said, what is it, son? He said, does that mean we're going to be poor now? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, son, I don't think it's we're going to be poor. I said, but we probably won't be taking as many vacations like you're used to. Uh, but the funny thing, Craig, is actually we still took all of the vacations that we normally did. We, they were still all involved with sports and uh, and God took care. Now, the, da- the, 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 the backstory behind that is even though I accepted that position, a week later, my supervisor came to me. And he said, I want to talk to you in my office. And so we, we got together and he said, he goes, you know, he called me Dubon. He said, Dubon, he goes, we really love having you here. You're a great worker, et cetera, et cetera. And we want to promote you to vice president of IT. Wow. And I stopped and I go, huh? He goes, yeah, we want to promote you to vice president. And I had to take a pause and my heart was beating and, I, and his name was Eddie. And I said, Eddie, I said, you know what? You have been hands down one of them the best supervisors I have ever worked for. You've been understanding. He wasn't a Christian, but he knew I was. And so he would allot me time off of my schedule to do things for the church. Very generous. And I said, if you had asked me this question two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I said, I would have immediately responded. I go, but unfortunately, I've made a commitment. And not only did I make a commitment to my church to be full-time, I'm probably gonna be leaving the organization here uh, once my job is, is filled. And I tell you, Craig, at first I was okay with it, but then I got called back in his office a second time with an offer. And then I got called back into the CEO's office a third time, and his name was Jack. And Jack was a wonderful CEO. And he said, Dubon, I understand you don't want to take our position that we're offering you for for vice president. Do you need more money? Is it the money? (laughs) And I said, Oh, Jack, please don't offer me any more money. Yeah, it's and, not and, the money. I'm thinking, and, and Jesus was taken up on the pinnacle and oversaw all the world and said, bow down, worship me, and all of this will be yours. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, Jack, you don't know. It's not the money at all. Yeah. And so I explained to him. I says, you know, I've made a commitment. I'm going to be full-time ministry. And I'll never forget, Craig, he looked me dead in the eye. I was sitting right across from his desk in his office, and he said these words. He says, well, you know, Dubayan, I don't really understand your decision. He goes, but I respect your choice. We're going to miss you. And that was it. And that was the beginning of that journey of crossing. Now, the church didn't really have enough to fully pay me, so I still had to take another job. But here's the great provision, Craig. Uh, I worked for the church four days a week. I had Mondays off. Do you know that God opened up a door? I got a call that week from my former job, and they said, would you come back one day a week, and we'll pay you X number of dollars, and do you know, Craig, that that amount that they paid me was exactly enough every month to suffice the difference until one year later, the church was able to cover it. I See, mean, I, I was just so blessed. Th- there's there's God's provision and also confirmation. And, and it's almost as if, you know, you like to say, well, the boss came and gave me this incredible offer. But 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 in reality, I think that God, in a way, used that to to check where your heart was. And, and to see it, whether or not you were really all in. Our conversation today with Pastor Dubayon Shortridge, Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Church of Hayward. A brief time out. We'll return to more of our visit in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today, a very special guest. He's Senior Pastor of New Life Christian Church in Hayward, Pastor Dubayon Shortridge. 
Pastor D, let's return to our conversation. Let me ask, you talked earlier about involvement in youth ministry, prison ministry, going into Alameda Juvenile Hall, um, wanting to deliver a message that would set literally the captives free. But in fact, that really hasn't changed. You're just talking to a different group of captives now. And by that, I mean, you know, there's some that are captives that, that have got steel bars that separate them from the rest of the world. But in a real sense, so many of us, today are captive too. We're captive by sin. We're captive by ego, materialism. And so no matter where God has called us to full-time work in IT, to full-time work in prison ministry, to full-time work in the pulpit, the message we deliver is the same. The nature of the captive might be a little bit different, but they're in captivity nevertheless, and Christ calls upon us to deliver that freeing message that exists only in the gospel. So in, in a very real sense, you're still doing prison ministry, just a lot larger, and you don't necessarily have to show an ID badge to get in, right? <laughs> well, Craig, can I share a, a testimony to that also that relates to that? So, um, you know, again, I mentioned that I wasn't intending to be the full-time pastor and, and God opened that door. Maybe about five years ago, uh, you know, I, I was traveling. So I don't do a lot of traveling as a pastor, but but I do some to different countries of missionaries that we work with. So I had the opportunity to travel to Africa, Uganda, for one of the churches we work with down there. And uh, we were down there ministering, and they have a ministry. They call it, uh, this is their terminology, they call it ministry to the street boys. And so what the street boys are, it's a group of, of literal boys anywhere from the ages of seven up to their 20s, who live on the streets who are orphaned, true orphans, no family. So we, we got there, and it, and it just grabbed my heart. But I noticed there was this one young boy, young young man, who really just, God put him on my heart. I'd never seen him before. I'd never met him before. He didn't speak English. I asked my interpreter if we could go pray for him. He had no shoes. His clothes were, 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 were um, you know, dirty and holy. And so I, I just said, you know, I don't know who you are, but I want to pray for you. And so the interpreter did the prayer. And I just told him, I says, you know, I just believe that there's something more God has for you in your life. I don't know what it is, but I just want to pray. And so long story short, uh, out of that, this young man, his, na his name was Eric. And Eric then became a part of the local church there in Uganda with the pastor I was working with. Unfortunately, he's gone on now to be with the Lord uh, but but Eric became a part of that, and we and out of that we started with them in partnership, a boys' home for these young men to give them a place to come off the streets. Now it's very small. I wish it was bigger, but it's what it is. He came to live there with these other four young men that were part of the church, and they began discipling him. So Craig, uh, maybe a year later, I I get in contact with the former pastor. His name was Johnson Bakashaba, and he updates me on Eric. And I could not believe what had happened in that one year. In that one year, Eric, uh, what his, here's his story. Do I have enough time to share a little bit of his story? Please. So his story was when he was in third grade, his mother was in prison. with. Uh, she was going to have him. She had him. I think she had him in prison. His father didn't want him, and he went to go live with his aunt. When he was in third grade, his, his aunt didn't want him and abused him. So in third grade, I think he was like seven or eight or somewhere in that, he ran away from home and he had been living on his own. And at that time he was 23 or 24. So his entire life he was on his own. Out of that, he went to the church where Pastor Johnson was 
and the church was was surprised because the whole community knew who he was and people started coming from the from the community to the church asking him what are you doing in church we know who you are he said they said you're the one who used to hold us with a knife at our throat and rob us and now you're in church and he shared with him how god had changed his life and so he had never gone to school they have a school in the church and they let him attend with the first graders schooling until he could learn English. Now fast forward to five years, he's speaking English, he's fully involved in the church, and he, he and I'm so humbled, Craig, he calls me his spiritual father. Wow. So when he addresses me, he always calls me his, his papa, and I, I'm humbled by that. And I'm hoping to go back, Craig, I haven't had a chance to go back and see him, but that's my goal either this year or next year when COVID subsides a little bit more. But just to know that that God took this young man who was on the streets, who was broken, and allowed me to be a part of that, to see transformation. Craig, I can't even tell you how incredible that is as a pastor and as a servant of the Lord. And and mentoring and 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 really being able to to as you spoke of earlier in sharing with not only your own your own children some of the things that you didn't experience as a young man and to be there as a spiritual mentor for somebody else's child. Boy, what a joy and what a delight. And I think God will will bless that and multiply that in, in very real and incredible ways. And that kind of goes to the heart of, of the, the, the spirit, the vision, the goal of New Life Christian Church, that idea of living the gospel in a real, authentic way, Sharing it locally in our in our sphere of influence, that that making of disciples, but also to think globally, to go out beyond that, that sort of uttermost parts of the earth, you know, some Judea, Samaria, and way out there. And I think that's important to have that kind of perspective, so that we can see that our our sphere of influence, of course, always and most importantly, begins with our own family, our own household. But then to recognize that wherever God plants us, we have lives that we come in contact with, the grocer, the baker, you know, whatever. And then even beyond that, really, again, demonstrative of, of God's vision to use us to bring his message across the world that none should perish, as Scripture says, but that all should experience eternal life. Yes, absolutely. And and I and I want to say, you know, pastorally now, I mentioned I've been, this is my 19th year coming up, and I'm so grateful of all the people that I've met along the way and people that I still have relationship with. And and I want to say, though, um, even though I'm a pastor, it's still my spiritual walk is still growing. There's still God. God is still expanding uh, areas in my life and understanding and, and even in the scriptures. So nowhere at all do I think like, oh, OK, you know, I've been doing this for 19 years. I got it all hands down because there's a lot that I'm still learning as a pastor, uh, as a as a husband, as a father and, and as a grandfather. Uh, certainly, but I'm grateful that in this journey in life and walk, that God is 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 guiding me through every step of the way. And and in the future, you know, when New Life has a new pastor, my hope and desire is that when when that time comes, that that next pastor will have a good foundation that was built here at New Life for them to be able to take the ministry and the calling even further. Than, than what we've done here in the number of years that we've been here. Well, you're in good company. I mean, uh, after all, the gentleman who's responsible for writing probably uh, two-thirds or three-fourths of the handbook that we have for the church today, the New Testament, uh, Paul himself never never, never reached perfection either, right? He was continuing <laughs> to work out his salvation. So, you know, we're, we're all in good company with that spirit and attitude. Hey, Pastor Dubai, before time runs out on us, take a moment, if you would, for folks that are 
new to the Bay Area, looking for a church home. Tell us a bit about what God is doing in and through New Life Christian Church in Hayward. Thank you, Craig. New Life Church, as we mentioned, our our desire is to live the gospel personally, share it locally, and take it globally. What we do as a church is we we look to minister to everyone wherever they're at, uh, whether they come in, uh, you know, displaced or addicted, or they come in, you know, from college degree. Our goal is to introduce people to Christ, and in so introducing them, that they have an authentic relationship and growing in their faith. We we would consider ourselves a family type church. You know, certainly we we love to get together and hang out together and fellowship together and do all the things all of those things. But I think if someone were coming in for the first time for us here, uh, first of all, we don't look like a traditional church. <laughs> Number one, we we were a former gym building and that we bought and uh, it's it's now a church. So the. Uh, uh, the aesthetics of the church aren't traditional. In fact, it's very easy to miss us because it looks like a regular building. But as soon as you come in, we have a, 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 commu- uh, a uh, cafe area where you're welcome to sit down and have a cup of coffee and just kind of relax a little bit. And then in our service, uh, we're traditional in our service. We have a time of prayer. We believe prayer sets the attitude for our hearts. And then uh, we have a time of worship. And then after the worship, we have a time of teaching and preaching out of the scriptures. And then we have a closing time. We call it our altar ministry, where we invite anyone that needs prayer and certainly anyone that doesn't know the Lord to do so. Uh, one of the recent things we've added on to recently after, out of COVID is we have an online service, which we didn't have before. Uh, well, actually, I should say it this way. We tried it before, but we had very uh, bad technology where you were doing the robot and <laughs> every word was a little bit of a stutter. Uh, but we've invested a little bit. So it's a, a little bit smoother now, not quite the best but it's good enough where people can get an idea of what the service is like and, and, and everything. But I would say if you don't have a home church, we would certainly welcome you to come and visit New Life. Uh, if you want to know a little bit about us, you can certainly visit visit us on our webpage at newlifechristianchurch.com. We have all of our statement of faith. Our services are there. You can look at our services and any questions that you might have about our leadership. It's all written out there. And we would love to have you come by and visit us on a Sunday morning. And in the church building, I might add, where folks used to go to uh, to build their physical muscles, now you can go and build your spiritual muscles. That's it, exactly. New yes. Life Christian Church, 1265 B Street, downtown near 2nd in Hayward. You can call area 510-889-1304. That's 510-889-1304. Or visit them online at newlifechristianchurch.com newlifechristianchurch.com Again, service times Sunday mornings with prayer at 9.30 10 a.m. service, both streamed and in person, and uh, again, more information available on the web at newlifechristianchurch.com If you were fascinated by Pastor Shortridge's testimony and want to go a little bit deeper, he's written a book. You can check out Give Me My Heart no, My Mountain My Mountain, you're, I'm sorry I, I went, wants our heart too. Yeah. <laughs> I went and said, that's not right. Give me <laughs> give me my mount. Mountain. Mountain, yeah. You know what? I, I would complain that my secretary's got bad handwriting, but uh, <laughs> Okay, let me do that again. If you found Pastor Shortridge's testimony compelling, as certainly I have, I invite you to check out his book, Give Me My Mountain, available at Amazon.com. Again, that's Give Me My Mountain by Pastor Dubayan Shortridge, Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Church of Hayward. 
Pastor D, it's been so great to get a chance to hear some of your story and visit with you today and talk of the good things of the Lord. Thanks so much again for your time. Thank you, Craig. It was a blessing to be here. God bless you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.